right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just listened to that song, The Old Rugged Cross, Lord, we cling to the old rugged cross. For it's in the cross that we have salvation. It's in the cross that we become part of your kingdom. It's only through the cross that we are made children of God. So Lord, we cling to the old rugged cross. But we praise you, Lord God, that we will one day exchange that cross for a crown. We enter into your glory and see you, Lord Jesus, not on a cross, but sitting on your throne where you are even today. And we praise you, Lord God, for what you have done for us. Lord, the word of the cross what brings salvation. So Lord, we thank you. And Lord, today as we study about the, the cross, the message of the cross that we proclaim from this church, Lord, we pray that our own hearts would be opened. And Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified and the message of the cross. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I think I'm a little loud. It's, I'm, I'm only going to get louder. <laughs> so I might need to turn me down just a hair bit there. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. We're kind of We've been in the kind of this little subsection of, of 1 Corinthians here. Paul is talking about unity in the church. There's addressing some problems of division in this church in Corinth. And, and he's kind of had this little subsection, this three little units, and this is the final unit of this little subsection, 1 Corinthians. And as we look at this, as we think about this, uh, as we stated last week, one of the biggest contributions to division in the church is boasting, which is a, a form of pride. Right? Pride is at the root of most all sins. But this act of boasting, and a, another way in which boasting factors into divisions is boasting in personalities. Boasting in personalities, and that's one of the big issues here at the church of Corinth. Remember, as we, we began the study, there's those who are boasting, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas or Peter. And it's easy for us to kind of get into these divisions over personalities. We kind of have those leaders that we look up to and we respect and we kind of get in behind them and we, we follow them. And it's even more uh, prevalent, I think, probably today because our world has become so much smaller. Right? We have Charles Stanley's and, and all of these uh, John Piper's and John MacArthur's and all of these teachers that we have uh, right at our fingertips. We can pull them up on the computer and we can listen to them and we can say, I follow MacArthur, or I follow Piper, or I follow Stanley, or I follow this person, I follow that person. 
And we can, can begin to, to find divisions among ourselves, even among our favorite teachers. Uh, we can do this, of course, as we've already talked about with political groups. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm an independent. And, and we can allow those organizations and those leaders within those organizations to cause division among church members. Oh, we can do it with the music that we like to listen to, right? I follow this, this person. I follow that group. I follow this other group. And, and if you don't follow this group or that group or the other group, then, then there's division, there's problems. But you see, this is all, when we begin to do this, when we begin to follow a personality, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. What we're doing, we're committing the sin of personality idolatry what it is it's personality idolatry it's putting a human being up into an exalted position where only god belongs so paul says no 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 you don't follow paul i'm nothing you don't need to follow apollos he's nothing you don't need to follow cephas because he's nothing christ is everything And Christ is the only one whom you should be following. And so as we come to this last section today, uh, we see that Paul addresses this this issue of personality idolatry. Now certainly we we want to love and respect those in, in leadership, places of leadership that God has put in places of leadership, especially within the church. But we should never put them on too high of a pedestal. We should never glory in men. We must only glory in God. We should never glory in men. We should only glory in God. When I stand before you, I don't want you to look at me. I don't want you to follow Richard. I want you to see beyond me. My goal when I stand in this pulpit is not to point your fingers at me direct your eyes on me i want to direct your eyes to he is the only one who is worthy of our exaltation so the word of the cross the gospel seeks to end all worldly boasting and division and bring unity in christ so as we've been looking at these little sections here we first noted that God ends boasting in worldly wisdom through the foolishness of the cross. Right? Not that it, the cross is foolish. As Paul says, the, the foolishness of God and the word of the cross is, is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. Those who are being saved, it's the power of God. But the Lord ends boasting in worldly wisdom through the foolishness of the cross. That was chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. God ends boasting in worldly social structures, as we looked at last week, by the foolishness of choosing to save a relatively insignificant people for nothing special. For nothing special, but God in His grace saved us. And today we look at Uh, we see that God ends boasting in worldly personalities through the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching. So today's message is entitled, God's Folly 
preaching. That's folly in preaching. So today, we understand this, and this is the sermon in a sentence. The foolishness of preaching glorifies God. The foolishness of preaching, what I'm doing today, I do every Sunday, the foolishness of preaching glorifies God. So today I want us to see three ways in which God is glorified through the foolishness of preaching. Again, I just want to direct your attention away from me, God, through the message that I say. So if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians, Please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of, the, of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. As we look at our text this morning, the first truth that we understand here is that God is glorified in the message of preaching. God is glorified in the message of of preaching right off the bat Paul he, he explains that his preaching is in simple words his preaching is in simple words or simple language look at verse 1 there and I when I came to you now Paul is talking about here the first time that he came to Corinth he's not there right now right now Paul is in uh, 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 Ephesus He's doing ministry work there, and he's writing over to Corinth, addressing these problems. But he's, he's recalling their attention back to when he first came to them in uh, Acts chapter 18, that we, when we started this, we, we looked at that. When he first came to them, he says, When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, why is Paul making... Uh, a big deal out of this why is he pointing out that he did not come in lofty speech or wisdom well it's because in this day and time in Paul's day and time there were these sophists uh, these traveling philosophers who would go about from city to city and man they hit the big cities because that's where they got the most attention and so places like Corinth which was this this big center of trade and, and knowledge and, and commerce, uh, they, they really targeted places like Corinth. And so the Corinthians would have been very familiar with these sophists, these traveling philosophers who would come in and they would, they would come into a town and, and they would set up shop and they would begin to teach. Now these sophists were, uh, at least they, they portrayed themselves as being great philosophers 
who had a, a knowledge of everything. They were supposed to be experts on everything. Whatever you could bring up, they were going to be the experts on it. And it wasn't necessarily that they were experts on everything, but they used rhetoric, right? They, they were skilled in rhetoric, and so they used rhetoric to give these big lofty speeches and the, these big teachings, and, and all of this was to get your allegiance, to get your patronage, so that you would kind of line their pockets and help support them in, in their, their work. And so what they would do, they would use lofty language, big speech. Now, philosophers, I don't know if you go back to your college days and think about taking philosophy, if you've ever read much philosophy, uh, you know philosophers, they like to use really big words. I always say that philosophy makes my head hurt, and it does, because it's hard to understand, especially those really smart philosophers, man, you've got to dig in deep, and you've got to think about what they're saying, because they use these really big words. Now, sometimes those big words are necessary. They are necessary. My English teachers, you, you, you know this, you've taught this. You, in writing, you need to be precise. You need to use precise terms, precision terms, to really clarify what you're trying to say. And, and so sometimes little words don't work. You've got to use the big words to really be precise. Precision is, is sometimes key and so you want to be precise and so sometimes those big words are necessary and so from time to time I'll use big words and I try to explain those big words but those those big words are sometimes necessary but other times those big words are used for pageantry they're used for pageantry they're really used to show off and these philosophers, these sophists, that's, what, that's the kind of language they would use. It wasn't that they were using terms necessary to really be precise in what they were saying. They were really trying to build con uh, confusion. Uh, they wanted to sound smarter than you, in other words. Uh, look at all the terms I know. Look at all the big words that I know. Look at me. Look how smart I am. And that's what kind of speech they would use. They would use lofty, lofty speech big speech, over-the-top speech in order to kind of persuade people, to get them to think, oh, well, this guy, man, he, he's so smart. He, he's saying stuff that I don't even understand, so he, he must be worth his weight in gold. Right? And so I'm going to give him my gold. And that's what these sophists did. And that's what the Corinthians, they were expecting. That's, that's kind of the thing that they were looking for. I mean, this is, this is in the, uh, the area of Greece, and, and, and you, know, you had Socrates and Aristotle, and all of these big thinkers, and, and so Corinth and Athens and all of these places, I mean, they prided themselves in their intellect. They loved philosophy. They loved these, these big speeches and, and these guys who knew their rhetoric that, that they thrived on that so these corinthians they came when they when paul comes in they're looking for this big philosopher to use all of this big language and he says no 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 i, I came to you when i first came to you i didn't come to you with lofty speech words of this worldly wisdom that i use simple words i use simple words Words that you can understand. Words that even a child could understand. So the message of preaching is, is, it uses simple words. And it uses simple words to communicate a simple truth. 
Notice what he says there in verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I chose to know nothing. It's not that Paul didn't know anything else. That, it's not that he, that was the only thing he knew. I mean, Paul was an educated man. Paul spent his younger life being educated to be a Pharisee. I mean, he, he memorized large chunks of the Old Testament. He had them, all that up, up there, right? He was highly skilled. He was highly educated. Most likely, he was educated in, in, in rhetoric. He knew all of these things. He knew how to use them. He said, I chose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the only message that brings salvation. See, the main message of preaching, word of the cross, Word of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's a message that even a child can understand. Simple truth. Now understand, Paul is not anti-intellectualism, and, and, and that's not what he's proclaiming here. When he first came to them, he, pro, he, he had a simple message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, as we continue on in the, in the text, in fact, we'll see next week, we go on to the next section. Paul, Paul says, I didn't stay there, right? Look at verse 6, just real quick. Among the, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory and so paul says uh, we went on right we went on to deeper things when i came to you i gave you the milk of the word i gave you the simple truth that that only leads to salvation i gave you the gospel that's all you needed to know i didn't start on eschatology right i didn't start talking about end times and, and all of those things I didn't talk, start with the doctrine of sanctification and justification and all of these things. I started with Jesus Christ and Him crucified because that's the message you need to know to be saved. That's where we started. I didn't use big words. I didn't use lofty words, but I came with a simple truth. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yes, we went on to the greater doctrines. As you matured in your faith, we grew. We went on to the bigger things. But here's where we started. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's a simple message. But I want you to know that the simple message of the gospel is what is so foolish to our world. I mean, the simplicity of the gospel rips up a lot of people. They look at the message of the gospel and they say, that's childish. It's too simple. It's childish. And they say of Christians, you're simpletons, right? You're simpletons because you, you believe such an elementary message, such a simple message. Look, the word of the cross is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to us. God loved us and He came to us and He went to Calvary's cross and He died on the cross for our sins, and if we believe Him, we will be saved. If we trust Jesus, we will be saved. That's foolishness to the world. It's too simple. 
There's got to be more to it. There's got to be more, more complexity to it. There's got to be something that I have to do to be saved. It can't be so simple as that. And people trip over that. Because it's so simple. The message of our preaching is simple. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was, ro- he was raised again. And now if you trust Him, you will be saved. Nothing else. Nothing more needs to be done. Dear friend, if you're here today and you're looking for a big, complex message of how to, how to come to God, it's no, there's no complex message. It's not difficult. It's not so hard that you've got to struggle with it to understand it. It's simple truth. Trust in Jesus and He will save you. That's it. Trust in Jesus. Don't trip over the simplicity of the gospel. Yes, a child can understand it. And children do understand it and are saved. But will you? Will you? The message preaching glorifies God. Simplicity. There's nothing we have to do. It's all about His grace. He did all the work. Now we simply must believe. The message of preaching glorifies God. Second, God is glorified in the manner of preaching. God is glorified in the manner of preaching. And we see here that preaching is non-manipulative. Preaching is non-manipulative. Look at verses 3 and 4. And I was with you in weakness or timidity. Weakness. I was timid and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, notice there, Paul says, I, I came to you with timidness. I was timid. I was weak when I came to you. That was my manner. Now, why was Paul so timid? Why would he come in such weakness? Why did, was, did he come with much trembling? We talked about that in the introductory message. Paul here, he, he talks about his own weakness there in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, it says that, that the Lord comes to him and says, Fear not, Paul. Fear not, for I have many in the city who are mine. Just keep preaching. So if God comes and says, Paul, fear not, there must have been a little fear in Paul. Why was he so fearful? Because he has been on this long missionary journey, and every town that he comes to preaching the gospel, they run him out. He's had to leave with people chasing after him. And they follow him from places like uh, Philippi down to Thessalonica, and and they're following him, chasing him, cursing him, and and trying to get other people to to run him out of town. So now Paul comes to Corinth, and he comes, all right, how long do I have here? week, two weeks? How long before they run me out again? He comes in fear and trembling. He's Fearful. But Paul wants to make clear that 
that in that fear and trembling, he's not trying to manipulate anyone. Right? This is his demeanor. This is how he came. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. Again, Paul is, is reflecting on, on those who, uh, those sophists, those philosophers who, who went out with their big lofty speech. And they came with these big lofty messages and, and they used manipulation, especially emotional manipulation to kind of get their point across. The sophists, they thrived on manipulation. I mean, their whole goal was to get you to believe what they were saying, to follow them, and to support them. That's what they were aiming for. And so they were kind of like those fast salesmen. Have you ever heard of fast salesmen, fast-talking salesmen? Right? They use any means possible to kind of get you, twist you, to, to get you to, to buy what they're selling. I remember back when we were out at Fort Worth, we used to go to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo all the time. That was kind of our... One of our big things every year. We enjoyed going to, to that. It was cheap entertainment for us. And, and so we went, we'd always go and spend a lot of time in the exhibit hall. And they had all kinds of things. It was just, uh, you know, from, from housewares to, uh, to ranch wares. I mean, ev everything you could imagine having to do with country living, I guess you could say, was in that exhibit hall. And, and there were always these salesmen on the ends of, of the, the runs there. And they would be there. They would be these fast-talking salesmen, right? They would have their display before them, and they'd have their little mic, kind of like mine here. They'd have their little mic on, and, and they would be doing something. And, and I remember there was one that was a knife salesman, right? He had his knife chopping up his food. And, oh, man, look how fast this knife can make you do. You can cut up your food twice as fast with this. Right? And they would be big talking, explaining, and, and doing all of these things, fast talking. And, and you know, it'd be like a man would be sitting there, Sir, who, who does the cooking in your house? Well, my wife does the cooking. Well, you know, if you bought your wife uh, some of these knives, you could cut her time in the kitchen in half. Oh, yeah? Well, do you love your wife? Well, yeah, I love my wife. Well, you need to buy her one of these knives. I'll take ten of them. Right? That's the kind of thing that these fast talkers will do. They, they twist your emotions. Well, sure, I love my wife. Don't let me buy her this knife. And that's the way of the sophists. They would come in and they would twist emotions, right? Not necessarily what they were saying was true, but if they could twist your emotions to kind of get you to believe it, at least for the moment, they could get something out of you. Paul says, I didn't come that way. I came weakness came in fear and much trembling, not with fast talking. Paul's manner was in timidity, weakness. And, and what did he become proclaiming? My speech and my message, that word there, message, and other translations. I, I like, actually like other translations better here. Um, the NSB and the New King James all have preaching. That's really the better term, I think, there. My speech and my preaching. It's the word that Paul uses back in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the, word, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. It's the same word there. 
to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks uh, seek wisdom, but we preach, and this is the verbal form of that same word, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Greeks. It's that word preach. Now, we have a kind of our own understanding of what preaching is. What Paul is talking about here, you could actually, instead of using the word preach or preaching, you could say heralding. Heralding. What I heralded to you. The message that I proclaimed to you. You see, in their day, they would have had an understanding of what Paul's saying when he says, I, I preached to you, I heralded to you. There was this mindset of a, a herald, an official city herald who would receive a message from the king. So, Harold, come here. I want you to go out, and I want you to proclaim to the city this message. And he would give him the message, and then the herald would go out in the streets because they didn't have media, they didn't have TV, didn't have public announcements. So, but the herald, he would go out, and he would say, Thus saith the king. Thus saith the king. And he would repeat represent the message that the king gave him. And Paul says, that's what I am. I'm a herald. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a sophist. I'm a herald. And I'm here with a message from the king, God. I'm here with a message from King Jesus. And here's his message, thus saith the Lord. He's not giving his wisdom. He's not giving his own message. He says, I'm heralding. I'm representing to you a message from the Lord. That's the manner in which Paul comes. He came as a herald, proclaiming the simple word of God. He wasn't trying to manipulate anyone. He was simply reading the message. That's what's done in preaching. That's what I'm doing today. I, I don't want to give you my message. What, is my, what does my message have to do with anything? That's not going to do you a bit of good. My thoughts, my opinions, that, that's not going to do you a bit of good. But I say, look at the text. See the text? I point you to the text of the Word of God. This is the message of God. I explain the text and apply the text. But it's all about the text. Because this is the Word of God. I, what, my thoughts are not the Word of God. This is the Word of God. This is what's important to you. This is what gives you life. We herald. We just represent the Word of God. If any preacher doesn't do his job and represent the Word of God, he's not doing his job. The Word of God that's most important. So Paul heralds the Word. It's non-manipulative. It's just presenting the Word of God so that people can understand it, believe it, and apply it to their lives. So the Word of God, the preaching is, is non-manipulative, but it also see that it's preaching is God-dependent. It's God-dependent. 
I was with you and, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message, my preaching were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You could put those together and say the spiritual power, the, spirit, the power of the Spirit. I was with you to demonstrate the power of God. In other words, your conversion was not because I was smart enough to, 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 to convince you. When people come to know Christ, it's not because I was good enough in my explanation. I could give the best explanation of the gospel around and people still not receive it and believe it. Paul says, I came to you in weakness, displaying the power of God. Because you were converted only through the power of God. Only through His Spirit working in your heart, opening your heart, making your heart alive to hear and receive the Word. That's the only way that you are converted. So when I stand before you, I'm depending upon the power of God to work in you. I'm only as good as the power of God lets me be. Maybe better like this. I'm only as good as the power of God working through me. Preaching is dependent upon the power of God. God is glorified in preaching because preaching depends upon God's power, not manipulation, to change hearts. So, God is glorified in the message and the manner of preaching. Third, God is glorified in the motive of preaching. God is glorified in the motive of preaching. Look at that last verse, verse 5. So that. Right? I came to you in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that. That's a purpose statement. So that for this purpose. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. In the power of God. The whole purpose of preaching, the motive of preaching, first of all, is to firmly anchor your faith. It's to fir firmly anchor your faith. If your faith is anchored in the wisdom of men, then your faith is fleeting. If your faith is anchored in my ability to convince you, at least for a moment, then your faith is fleeting. That's why, unfortunately, we, we see this from time to time. You have people, they go to this big revival meeting, and there's this evangelist there, and this evangelist is kind of giving in to, to the ways of the world, and he kind of twists emotions, and he, he's a big talker, and he twists emotions, and he gets people all riled up. And, and then you have this person, they come down the aisle, and they're weeping, and they're, they're caught up in the emotions of things, and they're, they're coming, and, and they make this prayer, but then two weeks down the road, or even two days later, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. They're the same. So next year around, they come back to the same revival meeting, and there they get caught up in the emotions of things, and they come down and they say this prayer, and they're saved again, right? But then two days later, they're out the door, and they're living life just like they've always lived it. There's no change. Why? Because their faith 
was anchored in the ability of a man to twist their emotions and get them to say a prayer. And unfortunately in the church, especially in America, this is a big problem. Because it's too many people worry about numbers. If I can get enough amens, if I can get enough hands raised, if I can get enough converts, who cares the next week if they're off to the races again? If I can get them to say a prayer here, then, then I can go brag about how many numbers I have. Apostasy. And those people's faith is grounded in that man's ability to convince them until two weeks later they no longer care about Jesus. They're back doing whatever they've done. When your faith firmly anchored in the power of God working in your heart to change you, when God does the work in you, when God opens your heart, when God makes that transformation, when God converts you, that faith is anchored in God, and God will not be moved. Faith is secure. The aim, the motive of biblical preaching is to firmly anchor your faith. Second, the motive of biblical preaching is to glorify God. Notice again what he says. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow Jesus. I'm going to be dead and gone. I'm going to be out of here. Christ is forever. And when we exalt God through preaching, when we focus on Him and His power, I tell you, dear friend, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, if the name Richard Gamble uh, is remembered by anybody in Bastrop, who cares? It won't make a flip. If you pass on to your children and your grandchildren a love for Jesus Christ, praise God. Preaching, fiercely exalted. God is glorified in the motive of preaching because the motive of preaching ultimately is to glorify God. I love that. Casting Crown song that came out no not too long ago. I don't want to live a, leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Better. Foolishness glorifies God. God alone is worthy of our glory. 
So dear friend, today, glory in God alone. Glory in God alone. Not in a preacher. Not in a world personality. Glory in God alone. Someone once said, the best of men are men at best. What happens when your favorite personality lets you down? What happens when there's moral failure? What happens when there's disappointment? Even this, what happens when a church is built around a personality and that personality moves off? What happens? It all dies. It all moves away as well. But when you are grounded in God, when the church is anchored in Christ, it's on firm ground. We must glory in God alone. He is the God of our salvation. Perhaps today God has impressed upon your heart that you've been putting too much faith in a personality. Maybe in some way, maybe even a small way, you've been committing personality idolatry. You've lifted someone up on too high of a pedestal. You've put them in a place that's only reserved for God. Today, repent of that. Glory in God alone. Perhaps you've spent your whole life trusting in your own abilities, even your own abilities to save yourself. You've been glorying in you. Today, God has spoken to your heart. You have heard the gospel for the first time. Hear the simplicity of it and you believe. That's true. That's right. They trust in Christ. Give your heart to Him. He will say, Heavenly Father, Lord, you could have revealed yourself so many ways. You could have written the gospel on, in, the, in the sky for all to see, to marvel at. You could have organized the best advertisement campaign the world's ever seen to proclaim the gospel. But Lord, you chose the foolishness of preaching. Simply a man proclaiming your message. The message of the cross. It's through that simple message that your power is so readily revealed. Lord, we praise you today. We Christians praise you today for saving us. It's not us. It's all you. It's all your grace. Thank you, Lord God. We glory in you. Lord, surely there are those today who've come and or they've trusted in other things. Perhaps today, Lord, you've opened their eyes to see Oh, Lord, let them believe. 
Let them know the glory of your salvation. Let them see your power at work even in them. Let them magnify your name. This I pray in Christ's name.